0: We'd like to welcome you back to our current event and weekly Bible study for September 17th, 2013, and uh, this is part two. We're going to kind of shift gears here, and the rest of it is going to be, I don't know if you'd call it like I'd started the health corner, uh, really some end time type plague warning stuff. Uh, Really a lot of alarming information in that area that, that I'm seeing build and build and build. And I'm going to get into some information that I've never gotten in, into before. Uh, some of it breaking, some of it it's been happening over the last few months, some of it's been happening over the last few years to even decades, which is kind of the stuff we're talking about up front here, with uh, antibio- antibiotic-resistant bacteria. <clears throat> so, the first report is CDC... Drug resistant superbugs, urgent threat. Antibiotic resistant gonorrhea, which is a diarrhea causing superbug and a, fast, and a class of fast growing killer bacteria dubbed as a nightmare, were classified as urgent public health threats in the United States on Monday. And this is just one of the many um, <clears throat> antibiotic resistant strains out there. According to the new report by the U.S. Centers for Disease and Control and Prevention, or the CDC, At least 2 million people in the United States develop serious bacterial infections that are resistant to one or more types of antibiotics each year, and at least 23,000 die from the infections. One of the main ones recently, in the past, you know, one to five to six years, has been MRSA, which stands for Multiple Resistant Staph Aureus and uh, it's a particularly virulent, hard-to-kill super strain of staff. People typically get uh, infected with this stuff, and <clears throat> the the antibiotics they've got really don't work that well, typically. And they have to do tons of medical garbage in order to get rid of it. I have a protocol, I have a newsletter I've written on uh, MRSA and... Um, if you want that, just email me, and I'll get that over to you. I really don't have time to get into that today, but my protocol for it and what you can do. So, going further, uh, let's see here. So, 2 million people in, in the U.S. develop serious bacterial infections that are resistant to one or more types of antibiotics each year, and at least 23,000 die from the infection. Now, that that's what they're admitting to. Who knows what the actual real number numbers are. You know they're lowballing it, because the medical profession always... Always low balls those types of things. Okay, so continuing further, uh, this is a quote by Dr. Thomas Frieden, director of the CDC, in a television interview. He said, "For for organism after organism, we're seeing the steady increase in resistance rates. They've been saying this for years. It's just getting worse. We don't have new drugs about. We don't have new drugs about to come out of the pipeline. If." If and when we get new drugs, unless we do a better job of protecting them, we'll lose those also. Meaning, using the drugs sparingly, because they know all antibiotics, these these bacteria or whatever they're trying to use to treat it, will develop resistance to them, mutate, develop a super strain which the drug will not work on anymore. Okay, now we're bear with me. I'm going to talk about this more, but. <clears throat> Overprescribing of antibiotics is the chief cause of antibiotic resistance. Man, I haven't taken antibiotics in like, <laughs> Taylor's never taken them. I've never, I haven't taken them in decades at this point. Um, and I'll get into how I've been able to accomplish that because my immune system was the thing that got me into alternative healthcare. Poorly functioning, low functioning immune system. I still battle it, but I know what to do now. In order to increase it, where I'm not, you know, walking around vulnerable to all this stuff, because <clears throat> we all have our weak links in our chain. We all do. We all have weak links spiritually. We're body, soul, and spirit, and we all have weak links in given areas that we're going to battle essentially till the day we die. Okay. So that's that's just something that that uh, you know is good to come to grips with, and um, then then do whatever you can in whatever area, to compensate for that. So, going further, um, only a handful of new antibiotics have been developed and brought to market in the past few decades, and only a few companies are working on drugs to replace them. So, what they're saying is that, with all of these potential superbugs and strains and things of this nature, they really don't have a whole lot. It's not like they've got some, you know, whatever, waiting in the wings to treat us with, okay? Um, They're admitting they don't have a whole lot more on the horizon. Uh, In addition to resistant gonorrhea and others, the other now seen as urgent threats are, according to its first of a kind report released on Monday, are C. difficile and a killer class known as CRE. The report was conceived to bring together as much information as possible about drug resistant superbugs and how to slow their spread. And again, we're going to get into that a little bit here, more of the solutions. Uh, Next report, this is from the CDC. Again, it's kind of a reiteration of the first one, but they added some more things in here. It's about the 23,000 killed by superbugs in the U.S. Um, And it goes on to say, this is from a Dr. Stephen Solomon, director of the CDC's Office of Antimicrobial Resistance, and he says, this is the first time that we have divided these bacteria into categories and calling some of them urgent, meaning categories where there's a certain category where the antibiotics aren't really working. You know, Centers um, for Disease Control has issued a new report on antibiotic-resistant superbugs that kill Americans. This is this is the, one of the lead stories in Drudge Report today. This just came out today. Uh, they've issued a new report on antibiotic-resistant superbugs that kill Americans and cannot be cured. We are trying to sound the alarm on these bugs that we call urgent. Solomon, as Dr. Solomon told NBC News, these are worse... The CDC report points out there aren't any. Uh, what is work? Okay. No, these are particularly frightening. I'm sorry. Worse, the CDC points out that there aren't any new antibiotics in the immediate works that may kill any of these bugs. So patients may have to be treated with older, more toxic drugs and then probably higher dosages because if you're not able to get an effect with an older drug, then what ends up happening is you gotta take a lot more of it. I told Taylor this story the other day. When I was young, I had a infection, um, bacterial infection called Quincy. And, um, uh, I, I put it on pause real quick because I'm pretty sure, and I'm reading the account of what killed George Washington, and I had heard it was Quincy. And it looks, I'm looking at the symptomatology, and it looks exactly what I had. Um, uh, the most unbelievable sore throat you could ever, ever, ever imagine. I mean, <clears throat> think of any sore throat you've ever had, and just, now I'm not saying everybody's might not have, but on steroids. And um, this happened to me when I was probably, I don't know, Probably eight or nine or seven. I don't know. It was the closest I have ever come to death up until that point in my life. Um, I'm reading what happened to him. Like the actual uh, account. He had went out riding and he came. He got all wet and it was really cold and he got this unbelievable sore throat. And um, he almost suffocated because his throat had swollen so much. Um, his... Um, couldn't talk at all. Couldn't swallow anything, and that's what it was like. It was—it's just the most unbelievable sore throat you could ever imagine. You can't talk, um, chills. You can't move. You can hardly breathe. You—I mean—swallowing is like agony. Um, and um, I was like this for days. <laughs> I don't know why, but my parents didn't take me into the the doctor. We weren't really into alternative health back then. Little bit, but not very much. It was back in the seventies, and <clears throat> I mean, I, when my dad finally took me to the doctor, I, he had to, I could not walk, I could not hardly the swallow was agony, couldn't talk, couldn't move really. I was just like a wet dish rag. And remember he brought me into this doctor in Fort Myers, and um, my my childhood family doctor and. I don't know, I guess he checked me out, and he went to another room, and he came back with this giant, the biggest needle I think I'd ever seen in my life, and, you know, they gave it to you in the old gluteal area, and I remember, you know, it was just a gigantic needle, and he telling me to count from, like, probably 10 backwards or something, and me crying because it hurt so bad, no, no little kid likes needles, you know, but I had not eaten in days. I don't hardly, I mean, I had been sweating. I could barely, I don't know when the last time I even got any fluids in me. I was very, very close to death. I think one more day, I would have been gone. I I don't think I could have made it. Because you you can't swallow anything. So you can't get hydrated. And you're sweating. So you're losing fluids. And the the, the eating part was one thing. But the water, obviously, you know, you you can't do that real long. And I remember us driving down, 41 now. And it was probably about five or six miles till we crossed the Clusachi Bridge, get over. And by the time we had crossed the Calusachi Bridge, I was like transformed. He'd given me a gigantic shot of penicillin, I remember. And now, I'm not a person that ever took a lot of antibiotics. I wasn't on antibiotics all the time growing up, but I took some, but... The super strains up until that point really hadn't developed that much. And when you have somebody that didn't, wasn't taking antibiotics every other day, you could get an extraordinary effect. would be like if you were exposed. It's like what they say about certain drugs. You take it for the first time, and you're always chasing that initial high. Well, your body reacts the same way to drugs. It'll, it's, many times it will react... I'm not going to say well because there's a lot of problems with antibiotics but in this particular case it got the job done I hadn't built up really any kind of antibiotic resistance and by the time we crossed the bridge I remember there was a McDonald's there on the other side of the bridge and I don't eat McDonald's anymore (laughs) you might want to avail yourself to that Uh, Haven't eaten McDonald's in a long 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 time Uh, that study on naturalnews.com with uh, uh, Mike Adams that he just did on the Chicken McNuggets oh Beyond comprehension, gross. I can't even think about chicken McNuggets now. He did. He put them under a microscope. Ugh. Anyway, beyond comprehension, really gross, nasty, not fit for human consumption. Um, and we got across the bridge, and literally by that time, I was so ravenous, I felt like I could eat a horse. He went in there and got me like some gigantic meal. I devoured the whole thing and I felt almost normal within that short amount of time. And again, you have an experience like that, you're going to be a believer in drugs. (laughs) I'm not going to deny because I've been there, you know, I've been there, done it, and and but my immune system was always always been my weakest link, and um, kind of grew up as as a. you know, just very, very prone to colds and, and immune system and things of this nature, and and you look at, and I'm, I'm leading up to a point on, on this that I'm probably going to make a little bit later, but I'm looking at this report here, and it says estimated minimum number of illnesses and deaths caused annually by antibiotic resistance. Um, at least, now this is what the CDC is admitting to: the minimum number of illnesses and deaths caused annually by antibiotic resistance. The minimum number, and this is what they admit to, just in America, is at least two million four forty-nine thousand four hundred forty-two. So who knows what it really is, because they always lowball. And there's at least 23,000 deaths. But over 2 million illnesses that they admit to from antibiotic resistance. So, that's a lot of... Um, That's a lot of people getting sick. And that's a lot of people getting antibiotics, which is only weakening their own immune system. Okay, that's what antibiotics do. The word anti means against, biotic means life. It's against life. You've heard of probiotics? Pro, obviously pro, pro pro-life. It builds up the good, healthy flora, which comprises like 80% around there of your immune system in your body is, is in your is in your gut and GI and intestinal tract, is this flora, particularly from the small intestine down. That's like 80% of your immune system. So that's another huge component to your immune system, your primary immune system. So, going further with this article, and I'm, I'm going to get into this a little bit more. Uh, it says, um, if we are not careful, this is from the CDC director, Tom Frieden. He, they're saying, quote, if we're not careful, the medicine chest will be empty when we go there to look for a life-saving antibiotic for somebody who has a deadly infection. What he means by that is, see, the days of penicillin is long gone. Like, what happened to me back then doesn't happen anymore. They'll use a harder, more hardcore drug, typically, and many times not even get a very good effect. Now, remember, they're doing everything in the planet to kill us. They're chemtrailing us, they're putting fluoride, chlorine, and all these other uh, toxic chemicals in the water, in the food system, uh, we're getting GMOs, uh, genetically modified organisms, and the food that that we're eating. I mean, this is if you're if you're not careful, and and they're doing all these things to kill us. So, and then the vaccinations, which are a whole other death cocktail. And This is all by design, and the, and the vaccination schedule has has you know went up. I don't know how many fold since like the time when I was a little boy, like you know born in the late '60s here, and you know. Back then, it wasn't you weren't getting very many vaccinations. Now, it's like off the scale. And they're combining multiple vaccines in one shot. And, you know, it's... From that standpoint alone, you couldn't expect something like penicillin to work like it would have at one time. Okay? So, going further... Um, they're, they're saying if we're not careful, the medicine chest will be empty when we, when we go there to look for a life-saving antibiotic for somebody who has a deadly infection. And again, do you really want to put your life in the hands of an unbelievably evil, corrupt profession, uh, medical, pharmaceutical cartel, that literally has its roots from IG Farben, which was the driving monetary force behind the rise of Adolf Hitler, and IG Farben split into three different organizations essentially after World War II in order to, to disguise itself. And Bear Aspirin was one of them. Uh, Bear, the, the company Bayer, who, who is just so beyond wicked, I could do probably a five-part study on them. And then um, BASF is another part that they split into. And there's one other I kind of forget. Anyway, if you want to know more about that, can, um, "pharmaceutical" or the modern roots of the uh, medical profession—any one of those words—you'll probably find it on ContinueForTruth.com. Did a whole study on that. If you want to, if you want to know more about that pharmaceutical, uh, which is the root word for sorcery in the Bible, "pharmakia," which is where we get the root word for sorcery in the Bible. Okay, if, if it's from a uh, Pharmakia from the Greek that's the Textus Receptus is translated into the King James Bible. So from that standpoint alone, that's kind of a big red flag. Uh, You just cannot drug your body into good health. Well, yeah, but you you were cured from the antibiotic. Yeah, you can use things like this to save a life, but if you're constantly relying on drugs you're going to develop antibiotic resistance. It's killing all the good flora in your intestinal tract. This is just in the case of an antibiotic. It devastates your own immune system. So what happens is, and it also, because when you kill all the flora, what ends up happening is, you, the flora is the main thing that competes with yeast or candida in the body. And yeast isn't just something women get for the female thing. Okay, Yeast is, most people's bodies are flooded with candida. Candida colonies, and it's in the blood. I used to do live blood cell analysis. I was trained in it. The chiropractor that I worked with did it. We would take a, a pinprick on a patient's finger. We would do dry blood cell analysis, which would show us certain things under, under slides, under microscopic slides, and then we'd also do live blood cell analysis where you were literally looking at the blood alive, and almost every single patient that ever came in was just loaded with Candida colonies. They have a very distinctive look, under live blood cell analysis. Dark field microscopy is what it's also called. So, um, everybody, I know I've been prone to it, and it probably had a lot to do with not only the antibiotics I took when I was young, and again, I wasn't real super bad, but also the antibiotics in the meats. See, they feed the the cows and the chickens and and the um, cattle and these types of things massive amounts of antibiotics so, they don't get sick because they're all about getting a cow or a chicken as big as it can get, as quick as they can get it, and they don't want to have any have to worry about one cow getting sick and infecting all the others. So, they essentially supply their immune system with a pill because they're really not caring, and you get a lot of those antibiotics in the meats that you're eating as well, and milk and things of that nature. So, that's another way we get them, kills your flora. Which is like eighty percent of your own immune system around there, and that's another huge issue, okay, so that's antibiotics are not good, I understand If you've got to do it to save a life fine, do what you gotta do but but you can't consistently drug your body into good health at at that point. I always tell people if they've never done even if they've never taken a cycle of antibiotics, you need to be on flora, you know a because the thing is, is with flora, it's putting that good bacteria back in the body Anytime you're eating meats. I mean, the only time this wouldn't apply is if, like, you were... <laughs> okay, let's, let's think, think this scenario out. Organically grown meats where no antibiotics were used in the feeds. You hadn't ever been on any cycle of antibiotics, and you were eating a lot of raw fermented foods, which I would love to be able to get my hands on, But in North Carolina, they're literally illegal. You can get raw cheese in the store if you know what health food stores to go to, but that's about it. And I don't think you're dealing there with a lot of something that really has a lot of the raw live bacteria like you would raw kefir or raw sauerkraut, um, raw milk, and these types. One of the best things you can put in your body. I mean, top notch. Raw fermented foods in particular. Really are unbelievable for restoring flora balance and that helps build your immune system and just vitality in the whole nine yards. If you're in a state fortunate enough to have them, you know, great. I would, I would say you would want to try to avail yourself to them. A lot of times you can go to farmers markets, local farmers markets and these types of things. These are things they're trying desperately to do away with because our wonderful, benevolent, um, government has made it illegal in state after state after state. One of the best things you can put in your body, and they're trying to just totally take away your access to it. Why? Because they want to create a weak, sickly, dependent population in any box or main way that they've been able to accomplish this. Because here's what happens. You take an antibiotic, kills all your own healthy flora in your system, um, I meaning it's a concentrated dose, and it devastates your own immune system through other various mechanisms, and then, hey, guess what? next uh, month you're either sick again or you're loaded with candida or probably both hey i got to go back to the doctor and get maybe this doesn't happen every month but you get dependent on these cycles and if you start it when you're young then you know it's it's a lifetime and you're dependent on the md you've killed all your flora it's a mess your own immune system is devastated and you're relying on some drug for supposed health and it's like, in a way, you literally become addicted into this system, and that's what they want. They want reoccurring revenue. They want a weak, sickly, dumbed-down population that is easy to control. And so, they're telling you right here in these articles that, hey, you know what? Sorry, but uh we're uh, we're running out of these antibiotics here. They're they're not working anyway, and we got some things coming out that we can't even help. So, um. He goes on to say, the CDC director, he says, quote, without care, and this isn't healthcare, care, but without, in, in other words, without taking extreme care, we will soon be in a post-antibiotic era. For some, infections, we are already there, meaning they've got some infections that antibiotics don't work on. C. difficile has become a scourge of hospitals and an infection is often made possible when patients are heavily treated with antibiotics to fight other infections. It can cause unstoppable diarrhea and the latest treatment doesn't even involve antibiotics. Well, that's probably a step in the right direction. Of course, who knows what they're doing. Oh, but then it goes on to say, but a transplant of so-called good bacteria from healthy patients, that's how they're doing it. (laughs) What is that? That's Flora essentially. It's your good bacteria that competes with the bad guys that comprises a huge part of your immune system. And so this is, it's really important. I've I've talked about whole food vitamin C. I've talked about vitamin D3, the role it plays in immune system function. It's just not one thing that does it. Calcium plays a role in immune system function. It's It's what actually fuels the white blood cells. White blood cells are primary part of your immune system. And it's what actually fuels, gives the white blood cell fuel to propel themselves to wherever the infection is. Zinc plays an important um, part. There's certain glandulars that are really good, like thymic thymus glandulars um, are, are good. There's, there's a myriad of things that are, that are good for immune function. These are some of the major ones. Um, now, what we're talking about here is providing you primary immune system support. Primary. I'm going to talk about secondary in a little bit. Primary immune system is is something that builds up your own primary immune system, so that your God given immune system, your God given body, can fight it off whatever it's trying to deal with. A good whole food multivitamin is kind of like a base product where you're going to be filling in a lot of gaps, but you're not going to get a therapeutic dosage of any one thing in a multivitamin. You'll be getting a lot of a little. Okay, you're getting a lot of a of, of of, of amounts of things in a little... Because obviously, you know, if it was huge amounts, the, the pills or You'd have to take a ton of it in order to get a therapeutic dose. You're, you're taking... Um, but it is very, very important from a foundational standpoint to do something like that. If you have immune system issues, a good whole food vitamin C is, I think, indispensable. One thing else that does with the vitamin C, and I mean whole food, I don't mean ascorbic acid, which is a drug, essentially. It is a synthetic thing made in a laboratory. It is one small component of the vitamin C complex. I went over this in other teachings, but like the one I use is the C400 by innate response formulas. Best vitamin C I've ever used, by far. Another thing it does is, see, when you're under stress, guess what one of the main things you burn up? Vitamin C. Through the adrenal, through the adrenal pathway. Your adrenals have to have vitamin C. See, we can't make vitamin c in our body like animals can we can't do that animals can actually make it we can't we have to get it from an outside source if uh, god forbid you're a smoker you're really burning through your vitamin c i mean which in vitamin c is also an antioxidant and smoking creates a lot of free radicals antioxidants quench free radicals and if you're not on a lot of antioxidants smokers tend to age very quickly Ever see how quickly smokers age? It's because of the massive amount of free radicals they're generating from the smoke. And then they don't have the free radicals to quench them. And they're burning their adrenals out. That's why they get that lift when they smoke. It's why you get a lift when you take in caffeine in any form. Because you're, you're, you're tapping into the adrenals. But it's like having a bank account and you keep tapping in, you keep tapping in and soon there's nothing left there. It's like whipping a tired horse. There's nothing more to, there's nothing more to, to, to whip. So vitamin C is very important from... Having a strong immune system and um, uh, helping you be able to cope with stress because your adrenals are one of the main things that help you cope with stress. Flight or fight response, that type of thing as well. So I like vitamin C. Um, Probably the second thing that would be, I mean, you could argue D3. I've, I've talked about that. I use the whole food, food state D3 from innate response formulas, I don't know any other company that does that. It's actually literally in a food state form, which is the way God made it. You go, and whoa, yeah, I got this D3 at um, Walgreens. It's a synthetic. It is a synthetic form. They do not, there's very few companies that have figured out how to make food state vitamins at this point. It's 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 new From that state, it's not new regarding God because, like, okay, you go eat an orange, you're getting the C complex. That's the way God put it here. Man, in his infinite wisdom, goes into a laboratory and tries to create it synthetically and just create one part of it, which is crazy. And the only thing they'll say vitamin C is is ascorbic acid, that's just one component of the C complex. Um, Vitamin D is the same exact way, vitamin E is the same way. They create synthetic garbage. And then put it on there and say, hey, yeah, this is this is, this is is good vitamin E. And it's not. So this is what you run into. Um, Most of it is, the reason that is, is because it's expensive to make food state vitamins. They're more expensive and they're probably a hundred times the hassle. Because, hey, if you can just call up Hoffman LaRoche and order your Coltar B3 or whatever... And order it in a 50-gallon barrel and just dump it in with all the other barrels you just ordered from them and other chemical companies. And make a multivitamin. That's easy. What's hard is to produce it from a food and then tablet it or put it in a capsule where it's preserved and the integrity's there. I mean, that's so much harder. So, it's more expensive. And the way things are getting, you know, your dollar buys less and these things. And unfortunately, it's the day and time of living. Now, if you have an organic garden, that's ideal. You know, ideal where, or, or where maybe you're around, um, you can have access to uh, citrus fruits. Great way to get vitamin C, whole state, food state vitamin C. Um, so these are some alternatives, you know, you could think about. Um, also, though, with the D3 and the vitamin C, the, the flora is a huge one because it's literally about 80% of your immune system. So if you've never done any flora, Well, something you really want to think about. Here they are for C. Difficile. They're actually transplanting um, so-called good flora from healthy patients. I don't know how that would work. I would think it'd just be better. Like I don't really want someone else's flora. I'm sorry. I mean, mean, come on. Why don't they just? But they see they got to make it ultra, ultra, ultra complicated so they can charge you like eight billion dollars because they got to keep their their uh, you know their revenue flow going. When in reality, what they should be doing, and the ones that I've been using and recommending are the ones from Innate Response Formulas, and i I'm, I'm give you a link to the page where they're listed. Um, this is a really good one if you have never done flora, and you just want to like really like flood your body with the best flora you can flood it with, and you can't hurt yourself on this stuff. It's not like you're going to OD. It's their new product. It's a Flora 214 intensive. It's 200 billion viable cells of 14 different beneficial bacterial probiotic strains. Okay? And it's a seven day. And I think there's only seven capsules in the bottle. Only seven. You take one a day on an empty stomach. You take Flora on an empty stomach. If you go to the health food store and buy this, ask the health food store owner what is, in their opinion, the best one they got. And you always want to take it. I mean, at most, I would say take whatever dose you're going to take in the morning on an empty stomach and let's say before you go to bed on an empty stomach. It's If you're going to take two doses, it's best to split it up. If you can't remember, take it all at once. It will get in there. You do not take it with food. You do not want the floor to be digested. You want it to pass undigested into the intestinal tract where it can implant itself. Okay, so you don't have to get the the innate. You can go to a health food store. There's good ones at most health food stores. Get it from the refrigerated section. Some of them supposedly don't have to be refrigerated. Actually, innate is like that. I refrigerate it when I get the products in. Um, Just because it's going to extend the shelf life some. Because these are living organisms. But this is 200 billion viable cells of... um, of this product. And then the other one that I tend to use is the Flora 2014, which is more of a everyday you take it, you know, once your uh, Flora is and, and again, you could still take it and not have to do the 7-day intensive, but if you've had a lot of immune system issues, if you've had a lot of candida issues, you really want to jump start it. Probably going with the 214 for the 7-day and then transitioning over to the Flora 2014 or or whatever product you can and now what you could do is also is just take a lot of whatever you're going to take from the refrigerated section at a health food store. You can take a lot of that at once, go through a bottle v- relatively quickly, and then at, for your next bottle, maybe go to a one a day. Because you have to understand, it's like a gas tank. Once you got it filled up, it doesn't take a lot to keep it topped off. But if the gas tank is on empty, it takes a lot of effort to get that gas tank filled up. Um, so. Oh, and I learned one thing. Uh, going on this trip from Florida, which was beyond a unbelievable nightmare. Went out to my garage. Battery was was dead. Just got this car recently, and the guy had said it was the battery was only like six months old, I think. So the battery was totally dead. I mean, Satan tried everything to just stop me from getting down there. Then I looked over before I was getting ready to leave, and the back tire, which were the tires were almost relatively new, back tire was 15 pounds of pressure. I could tell it was real low. I knew there had to be a screw in it. But I didn't have time. I had to get out of there. Put a can of fix-a-flat in it. Pumped it up. It held. Go down there. I get down there, and I drove all night. And I get down there, I left at, like, 8. And I got down to, like, the middle of the state of Florida at, like... I don't even know. It was, like, 3 or 4 in the morning. I don't know. It was really, really super late. I'm in some town... That I've never been in, or I've maybe passed through, so I finally have to stop to get gas. So I stop, and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna put a, I'm gonna put a, uh, a, uh, a, uh, a tank of super unleaded in here, and just because I'm on the road. I want to make sure the car. You know, I like to do that every once in a while. Put this tank, sixty dollars worth, super unleaded, in the car. Get in, drive away. I don't make it more than 150 yards down the road car dies and i'm kind of freaking out because i'm like wow this is fun this is fun pull into the subway it's still pitch black dark i can get the car running but i can't keep it running and finally had to call my insurance i had uh, the roadside assistance tow truck driver comes at the meantime i'm praying i'm praising the lord um Uh, I found that that was one thing I think I really needed to do, because I was waiting. Tow truck driver gets there, takes me to this place. (laughs) It was a real hole in the wall where they took me. (laughs) I thought, oh, man. And long story short, I was able to accomplish what I needed to accomplish with my friend, but my car's getting worked on at this place, and I'm thinking, these guys are going to take me to the cleaner. Uh, But I'm like, Okay, let's just, I'm, I'm not, I'm kind of hostage. I really don't have a lot of options here. I'm, I'm like way far away from home. I'm, I'm like kind of dead in the water here. And they go through and they're like, yeah, it's your, the, the tow truck driver said, sound like your fuel, fuel pump. But when they pumped the gasoline out of my tank, and I said all that to say this, the tank, um, he showed me, it was in a plastic bucket. I had about 16 gallons of gas in there because I topped it off. And the, I would say the bottom one-eighth was a dark, very, very dark green substance. It was algae that had literally grown in that tank. And the re- And then there was fuel. Oh, I would say two-thirds of it was fuel. And then the bottom, the, the top one-eighth, I would say, was water. So there was massive amounts of water and algae in the tank. He took it out and put it in a, in, a, in a jar and showed me, and it looked like a science project gone wrong. And no wonder. It just killed my it killed my fuel pump, I mean, instantly. And um, you ever go to these stations that don't maybe get a, a ton of business, don't get super unleaded, I wouldn't probably advise you to stop there, period. Go to stations where, where they're having a lot of volume, you know, um, I think that and a name brand station that has a lot of volume because evidently this gas had been there a long time. Nobody had gotten this one. And it was ironic because I pulled up the one pump and the lady's like, oh, we've been having a problem with that pump. I'm going to move you back to the one about right behind you. So I wouldn't even have been at this pump. And had I got regular, it wouldn't have happened. But I said in the long run, the Lord worked it out that way. I could see when it was all said and done because we were able to accomplish what I was trying to help my friend with. In this small town, I actually worked out much better. So what the devil intended for evil, the Lord used for good. And um, so the Lord worked it out. The devil had a plan, but the Lord worked it out So where it was actually much more beneficial. And and um, I didn't have to drive as far, which was nice, but I felt bad. My friend had to come a long way to meet me. And so we ended up, um, I ended up going back in there and they showed me all this stuff. And um, the, uh, the place that... Um, that I went to, I had been on the phone with them on their for, with their corporate office, and they actually paid for the whole repair. Now I hope there's no other repercussions. I don't know, but they paid for the whole repair. They literally gave me a credit card over the phone, and they're sending me a sixty dollar check to reimburse me for the gas. I didn't ask for nothing else. I'm I'm not Mister Sue guy. I'm not Mister. Yes, but what about my pain and suffering? I was just thanking the Lord Jesus Christ that I got out of there in one piece. <laughs> Serious man, I thought that I was just waiting for like the black-eyed beans, werewolves, uh, Satan himself to show up. Now I would have been okay fighting that, but it was all this stuff that was going on that was just totally hindering my passage there. And it was it was almost to the point of being comical. It's like, what's going to happen next? You know. Then I get back. I start on my way back, and um. I I got out of Florida because I really just wanted to get out of the state of Florida at that point. And I'll tell you something else that I saw when I was down there. I never saw so many much military transporting things. More military movement of like armored Humvees and, and these big gigantic, I don't even know what they were, three or four of these huge military type things. I don't know, it looks like it could hold a missile or something on them. I just saw that over and over and over again. I got a very bad big brother walls closing in type of feeling when I was down there. I mean, I hadn't been down there since we left, literally in um, over three years ago. And, and the stifling heat was nice, too. I <laughs> forgot about that heat. Not, not forgot about it, but it's a big reason that I wanted to move up here. But I'll tell you, if you've never experienced that subtropical type of heat, that Florida has to offer during August September, it's something special. I mean, you could literally fry an egg on the ground. It was unbelievable. Uh, anyway, the, the the mechanic told me to run a can of that Sea Foam. It's called Sea Foam. You can get it at any most auto parts stores. Um, it's it's expensive, but he said I'd run a couple cans of this through. Just to make sure there's any uh, water, and I say this stuff because you never know. This might really help somebody. This information I'm giving out, maybe in the long run, maybe you remember some of this, or maybe if this happens to you, you know, if you get, if you ever pull out of a place and your car dies, don't try to keep it running. Because I was trying to get it running, I was like in panic mode, kind of, because I'm like middle of the night, I'm in a town I don't know, I don't know anybody around here. And, and, you know, I could have done more damage to the engine by doing that. And so if you ever get really, really, really bad gas like I did, and that car dies in close proximity to the gas station, you get it somewhere. Don't try to start it. Call, call the, uh, if you're AAA or, or if you have your whatever, call them. Get that going because it's not worth it, um, to, to try to, uh, to try to keep that thing going. Um, you might do more damage, get it into a mechanic. If you don't wait on this, he said, if I would have waited on this, he said it could, the water and everything in the fuel lines could have actually started rusting things internally. And I could have literally ruined my whole engine. So on the way back, get out of there, stay at Georgia, a Georgia hotel for a night, come back and I'm coming, I'm getting back on an interstate I actually made a wrong turn. Um, because my GPS wasn't, was, uh, was there's a section of road up here in North Carolina. It's like GPSs don't recognize it. Anyway, GPS kind of took me off course. I was getting up and all of a sudden the car was not, it was like I couldn't get it to accelerate. Turns out I had a flat tire in the front. Um, finally kicked in, got the car moving, but I didn't even know I had a flat tire. I, didn't, I, I thought surely nothing else is going to go wrong. So I had a flat tire in the back when I started, dead battery, flat tire in the front. And by the next day, when I tried to drive it, the tire was so flat, it sounded like, you know, the world was going to come to an end when I tried to drive it. So, I went up, somebody pointed it out to me. I'm like, oh, my word. I mean, it was I should have known. So, I went back. I patched both tires, found the screws in them, patched them both with those tire repair kits. You should always have them in your car in case you need them. Can't fix a flat, if not two, and then have a way to pump up your tires. One of those little, like I have one of them, it's, I know the name brand slime, but it works. Uh, one of these compressors uh, that, that can pump your tires up, plug it into your, your cigarette lighter, and it'll pump your tires up. And what you can do is, even if you're a woman, you put a can of Fix-A-Flat in there, get the tires pumped up, start to drive it. Most likely, the Fix-A-Flat will seal it at least until the time when you can get it patched. If you can't patch it right then, you can have somebody patch it later, and that's not a big, big repair fix. Um... So, these are just some hints, it just happened to me, and, and what a, wow, crazy stuff. Anyway, I really got way off base there, but, but what I was saying about the flora is, um, you know, this will, be, this will uh, help repopulate these bacterial strains in the intestinal tract, and um, it's, it's uh, very, very, very important for your immune system function that you do this. So, going forward here, I anyway, I give you a link to the, um, the ones that I, that I recommend, particularly the ones I use of the, either that 214, if somebody's really wanting to, like, just flood their system with flora, and then I usually transition them to the 2014, um, for everyday use. That's the one I, that's the one I take. So, uh, now, C, uh, going back to this article, CREs are a group of bacteria that resist even the strongest antibiotics. They include Klebsiella pneumoniae, which saw its infection rate jump 550% between 2001 and 2011. Why would it jump so much? Well, because of the, all the antibiotic-resistant superstrains that have developed mutations. CREs are... Uh, is a nightmare bacteria we reported on in March, bacteria that can resist virtually all antibiotics. These CREs are nasty stuff. So, anyway, I provide you many links there regarding this whole thing. Um, I'm just looking at my time here. Okay, so let's go further here. Um, Now, obviously you've heard me talk about it before. The Envive mild silver protein... um, this is a excerpt, the March 1978 issue of Science Digest. Okay, this is back in 78. Now they knew this way before then. Okay. In our article, this is Science Digest March of 1978. In the article, the, our mightiest germ fighter, it reported, quote, an antibiotic kills perhaps half a dozen different diseases, disease organisms, but silver kills some six hundred and fifty. So, you got antibiotics, kill half a dozen, silver kills 650, at least. Resistant strains fail to develop. In other words, if the medical community would have just kept using mild silver protein, like they were doing, up until, I believe, the 1938 Food Food and Drug Administration takeover, where they phased out mild silver protein and brought in the new antibiotic wonder drug if they would have just kept using mild silver protein like they were doing, remember, the MDs used this, okay? We wouldn't have all these super strains today. But remember, all this is by design to kill us off. Well, what do you mean they used it back then? They never used silver. That's quackery. No, it's not. Silver's been around since, I believe, around the turn of the last century. Now, silver's been around from antiquity. I mean princes and kings would transport water in silver um, pitchers because they knew that the water would not go bad. Farmers would throw um, silver dollars into milk jugs. The milk wouldn't go bad. I mean, it's been used for, for from antiquity. And I, I get into all of this in a, in a, um, a teaching I did. And I'm going to give you the link. You can go watch it up on YouTube. Or if you go to dr-johnson.com dr-johnson.com. You you can click on it right there. There's a four-part little teaching I did on silver, on the history, on of a protein. I tell you about it, and literally, they were using this stuff up until 1938. The MDs were. And I had old-timers come up to me like when I did that 16-city tour in 06. They would have old-timers come to me and say, yep, I remember when I went to the doctor when I was a little boy, and they would actually prescribe it. The MD would prescribe it. Sometimes he would compound it right in his office. Now, this is mild silver protein. This isn't the electrically generated ionic silver that you can get now everywhere. Okay? And I get into that in the, in the teaching. I get into, into the differences between the two because they're really like apples and oranges. Um, that's honestly the ionic is really best suited for topical. Okay? But it's much, 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 much weaker. And the things that we got coming down the pike, you're not going to want to use 10 part per million ionic silver to try to treat it. Okay? It's not going to work. You would have to consume it by the gallon to have any chance of it working. And I don't even think it would work then because it has a very short half-life in the body. Because once it hits the sulfuric acid, um, the hydrochloric acid in the stomach, or the chlorides in the bloodstream, it converts to silver chloride, which is an inert form of silver in the body. It's not active form. The stuff that Envive makes is particulate silver. It's mild silver protein. It's the highest pharmaceutical grade GMP silver that you can get in a the most concentrated form that I know of on the planet. I don't know of any other company that has been able to stabilize it at, at ten thousand seven hundred parts per million. And I think that's. I think they've even got a 20,000, but you have to be like an MD to get that. But I know they make up to 10,007 that you can buy. I don't know anybody else that's been able to do that. The shelf life is like 2027, and they've got bottles from back in the early 90s that are still totally viable. They, they have not fallen of solution. You cannot do that with an ionic silver solution that you make from a generator. You can't do it it'll 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 be bad in about a month if it lasts that long i had a whole bunch of ionic silver when i switched over to this product within one within less than a year all the silver had fallen to the bottom of the bottle cuz it wasn't stable it was made electrically it's totally different it's like apples and oranges anyway um, resistant strains failed to develop okay meaning this is the march 78 science digest meaning you did not have super strains because the silver kills the bacterium or whatever it's battling through what they call a zeta potential, through almost like an electric charge. It zaps it. does not give it time to mutate. It, it, resistant strains fail to develop, meaning you're not going to get a super strain of something if you're on silver. You're not going to have to worry about your immune system being devastated. It doesn't work that way. Silver works totally differently. So you could go back prior to 1938, go in, see your MD. Yeah, I'm sick, doc. Write you out a a prescription for silver protein. Sometimes he'd compound it in his lab. Sometimes he'd send you to the corner pharmacist. He'd compound it for you. The catch was, you had to consume this stuff, I believe it was like one to two weeks to ten days, or it would start falling out of solution. They did not have a way to stabilize it back then. So you had to like make it and take it. And it did not have a long shelf life. In Vive, figured out a way, and they had the doctor that did it um, said the Lord told him how to do it. He was an MD that figured out how to do it. Nobody else has figured out since, as far as I know. That's why it has a shelf life of up to 2027 20, 20, right now. So anyway, if you want to know more about that, there's a link here I give you um, or www dr-johnson.com Also, UCLA Medical Center reported colloidal silver killed every virus that was tested in the lab. So, it killed the viruses, the bacteria, everything. I am still running my silver special. um, As long as my inventory holds out. But... I don't know how long that will be, and if that's the case, what I will do is if you email me and I say, I'm really sorry, I, I'm, I'm, I'm out of the Silver Special, I basically give you $5 off per bottle of $5,000 in free shipping in the United States. I don't ship overseas. But, if you go to my website, the website that InVive actually put up for me, that I just gave, they ship all over the world. So, worst case scenario, you'd order off the, the Doctor Dash Johnson website and and they ship all over the world um, and you'll you'll pay retail and you'll have to pay shipping but that's worst case scenario um, so let's go further here now this is going to segue us into the next part of the study which is some really really heavy duty stuff here um, the uh, this one is, and I, I've heard about this, okay? I've looked into this, but I really, really looked into this heavily as I started doing more research. Now, I reported on that back in 06, on the avion flu thing, I could, I'll give you the links here where you can go watch my original presentation, because I would say 98% of that would apply to what we're talking about today. But I was talking about the H5N1. Avian bird flu. Now we have the H7N9. The World Health Organization is coming out and admitting now that the H7N9, and these are just different variations, okay, is the most lethal that they're that they've ever seen. This is from now again. I'm going to get into some things that are from like May until current, okay. But I put them in this order because I kind of thought that it it was most pertinent to put it in this order. This is from April 25th of this year, this story, this report. Those infected die a rather grim death, says a new report published on Thursday, which details in three victims a high fever, a cough, severe pneumonia, septic shock, and damage to the brain, kidney, and other organs. Now remember, this isn't about, this is not about the antibiotic resistance stuff we were just talking about this is about something totally different now we're talking about H7N9 and, and okay this is has nothing to do with antibiotic resistance what we're talking about right now there's a whole other animal now Jesus Christ warned in Matthew regarding the end times of, of 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 you know plagues and pestilence and stuff and you look in the book of revelation and and so you're you're seeing that we're moving more into that time time period um This H7N9 is like the H5N1, the avian bird flu, the one I reported on. I think it makes it literally, literally, totally pale in comparison to H7N9 from what I'm seeing here. You you die a, a very grim death. High fever, cough, severe pneumonia, septic shock, damage to the brain, kidney, and other organs, the New York Times reports. According to Los Angeles Times, all three—these are the people that got it—I believe in Taiwan—all three um, developed acute respiratory distress syndrome, a punishing condition that prevents sufficient oxygen from reaching the victim's lungs. Now, remember, we're we're moving into that time now. Flu shots, the change of the seasons. I mean, if you're in the northern hemisphere, moving into the fall, into the winter. Okay, we know from my my previous reports, all this stuff that we're seeing that they have to have in place by October second, you know, with all the government and all of these things that FEMA's doing and all of this prepositioning of food and medical supplies and all these people that have to have their certifications up by that point. We're seeing all this stuff with Comet Iceland go on. We're seeing all this stuff in the Middle East with Syria. We're seeing all these things with potential... And again, I don't know how it's all going to go down, but it may all go down at the same time. And I've said that for years, because why? Well, if you were the devil, and you wanted to hit somebody the hardest, you wanted to just hit somebody with an uppercut to the jaw, knockout blow, okay? You don't even see it coming with an uppercut. Uppercut to the jaw, knockout blow. Would you just do one thing? Or would you do a myriad of things that would would just... So overwhelm your opponent, they would be knocked out for the count, forget about it. Well, this is what I'm seeing as the potential scenario. A lot of different things going down at the same time for maximum shock and awe value and fulfilling the 33rd degree motto, Freemason, Ordo Ab Cow, which means order, order out of chaos. They're going to bring their new word order, out of this chaos that they're planning and creating and have been planning for tons of time. This, I believe, is one huge component of that. And this is how I believe they're going to get the guns. Because a well-armed population that is not sick, it's particularly with everything Obama's been trying to do to get the guns, they're not going to surrender their guns, willingly. There are going to be a lot of, but, whoa, we got a pandemic on our hands here. And we're, uh, this is something we've never seen. And I'm going to get into what this stuff does. Okay. And uh, listen, guys, we got the cure. We, and we think we can cure you. We're, in fact, we're your only hope. But, you know, you better, you're going to have to turn your guns. Cause we we've got martial law now, and and we've got plagues and pestilences. We might have war in the Middle East. We might have false flag nukes going off on our soil. We might have had an EMP attack. I don't know what this common ice sun is going to bring, and then all these other scenarios that could happen. And that's how they're going to get the guns. They're not going to. I don't believe they're just going to start beating on doors. That would be really stupid unless they really wanted a bloodbath on both sides of the thing. This to me, and I've said this for years, would always be the most logical way to go after the guns. People are going you put people in a maximum desperation mode and a lot of people will give up their guns, though a lot of people sell their souls in order to survive. Okay? It's it's the human instinct in nature. You know, survival mechanism kicks in. So, I'm not judging anybody. I'm just saying, you know, obviously if you're a Christian, you know, never deny Jesus Christ. Never take the mark of the beast. Never, never um, you know, you don't ever want to do any of that. You know, they, they that overcome it, the same shall be saved. We need to be overcomers through Jesus Christ. I've done a whole teaching on overcoming that you can can just can overcoming in the keyword search box at contendingfortruth.com. Okay, so I'm going back to this article now. Now, according to Los Angeles Times, all three developed acute respiratory distress syndrome. Now, more people have gotten this than three. And you could say, well, there's three people. Come on, give me a break. Bear with me on this one, okay? (laughs) Because this is some alarming information I've received here. And it's straight from the government, what I'm going to be covering. So, a punishing condition that prevents sufficient oxygen from reaching the victim's lungs. Even after receiving antiviral medications, two of those infected died in a week, and the third after 13 days. So they all died. In this particular case, every one of them—three people—you know—got that they admitted to. They all died, Um, and there's a link to that. The above Taiwan Department of Health translation describes the first confirmed H7N9 bird flu case in Taiwan. The patient developed symptoms three days after returning uh, to his, um, I believe, where he was born. I don't know, I'm going to try to attempt the, the name on this. I butcher enough words. So, um, the case is the first outside of mainland China, and it is in, in other words, it's been in China, and the second example of H7N9, in a case who traveled from the Shanghai area. All of this is linked if you want to know more. Uh, now, then, there's another report that says China confirms 108 8, 7, n 9 cases, they're admitting to 22 deaths. Okay, so in that case, you're looking at a, around a 20% kill rate, uh, whereas in Taiwan, all three died. Now, again, whether that kill rate in this particular thing is, is accurate, a lot of times you can't rely on the government to get accurate kill rates. Now, I'm going to go ahead and play this video here um, regarding this, and I'm going to be playing this actually a series of videos that we're going to be getting into here, because...
1: And as the bird flu now spreads out of China, the World Health Organization has issued a new assessment of the H7N9 virus, saying it's one of the most lethal flu viruses. An international team of experts from the World Health Organization has been in China this week investigating the cases of H7N9 bird flu. They say it is proving to be the most lethal flu virus for humans.
2: There are some other examples of other influenza viruses which are very dangerous for, for humans. Uh, you know, I think the, the H5N1 bird flu virus is one of the most famous examples in, um, of how dangerous uh, an influenza virus can be for people in terms of being lethal. But this is definitely one of the, the most uh, lethal influenza viruses that we have seen so far.
1: The World Health Organization says the virus is difficult to track and control due to the lack of any visible signs of illness in the poultry. World Health Organization...
0: So again, spread through, typically, direct contact with poultry. That is why in those countries like China and Taiwan and those places, a lot of times they have a lot more direct, literal contact with they're poultry. They're birds. Sometimes, you know, like they'll have chickens or geese or whatever, and I mean, you see, you see pictures of them picking them up, and the kids playing with them and then holding them up to their face, and, I mean, you're, you're talking serious direct contact here.
1: Experts have also said that the new strain is proving easier to contract from birds than the H5N1.
2: Um, so far, no samples from migratory birds or their habitats have been positive for H7N9. Uh, In
0: contrast,
1: um, samples from chickens...
0: Sorry. Um, This was the case when I reported on this in 06 with H5N1. It's still the case now. She she mentioned the migratory birds. Migratory birds uh, that we're talking about here would be flying through, um, basically over the... the, uh, between Russia and Alaska, and coming in via Alaska into Canada and North America. Um, Other parts of the world, I can't say 100% for sure where the migratory patterns are going to go, but that's what you'd be looking at. So you'd first, if if they had an outbreak, you would typically start to see it in Alaska first.
2: Ducks and pigeons uh, have been positive for h 7 and 9 uh, from uh, poultry markets. Uh, Also environmental samples taken from poultry markets have been positive.
1: Shandong province reported its first case of bird flu on Tuesday, bringing the total number of confirmed cases to 108. 22 have died from the virus to date. So far, there is no evidence of the virus being transmissible between humans, but experts are still investigating whether the virus could mutate to spread between people.
0: Okay, so that's that's that video. And again, it's the human-to-human transmission... That is the most dangerous, okay? And then, with that, you have human-to-human transmission, like, with direct contact. And then you have human-to-human transmission via, um, uh, like, if you were to cough. And it were to get in the air, and then that person breathes it. And you look at that show, um, Outbreak, with, I think, Dustin Hoffman in it is a model for that, and that shows when it finally mutated into that last form in that movie theater scene where the guy coughs, and then it shows this thing going up into the air, and then it comes down, and and then it shows it going into another person's mouth, like breathing their air that was coughed, and then that was when the outbreak really went gonzo, and it just went like, spread like wildfire, because then it was human-to-human human via the air, via, you know, respiratory. And that was that was the turning point. That was when, in the movie, it had mutated into not only just human-to-human human direct contact, but human-to-human human respiratory where it could be spread that way. And that's the big thing that, that um, you don't want to see happen when it gets to that point. So, now, let's go further. Now, that was from April 25th. Now, I'm going to flash forward to just the other day, four days ago, September thirteenth, two thousand thirteen, and this report is entitled Pacific Rim. The CDC readies multiple medical stations and emergency stockpile supply deliveries. The story and video is brought to us by this particular blogger. I give you a link to there, and it shares with us a unusual urgent activity unfolding in the Pacific Rim. As the CDC is preparing for some big something big in multiple locations. Now remember, the Pacific Rim is um and the particularly the islands they're talking about is way, 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 way closer to China and to those the or the Orient, uh obviously than we are. So now all of a sudden the CDC is preparing all this stuff, uh something very, very big, prepositioning of supplies in multiple locations on these Pacific Rim Islands. Does this have anything to do with the H seven N nine pandemic? Or, uh, I would say coming pandemic or potential coming pandemic. Again, because like these are things we can pray about. And this is why I did that tour back in 06. I really believed if enough people were praying about this H5N1, it could be averted. And hopefully what I did contributed in some small way to that. Um, I don't want to take credit or give the Lord Jesus Christ the credit. I'm just saying I, I really was convicted I needed to do that tour. And I'm not any less convicted about this thing that I'm seeing. And we haven't even got into all of the ways it works yet, and we will, uh, this H7N9. So um, it goes on to say, does this have anything to do with the H7N9 pandemic, or is this more preparation for mass health problems due to Fukushima? Something strange is going on with a contract scheduled to be fulfilled on October 21st, 2013. So here we have that October, again, dates coming up. The Centers for Disease Control are prepping for multiple federal medical stations and emergency strategic national stockpile supply deliveries to the U.S. Pacific Islands and Pacific Rim nations. What are they gearing up for? I mean, these are, these are, these are places with low populations, way off the beaten path. And all of a sudden, the CDC is prepping for multiple federal medical stations and emergency strategic national stockpile supply deliveries to them? What's going on? In short, this is above and beyond normal planning. The CDC has specified that the delivery contract is for what they term as, quote, surge tempo, meaning multiple distributed locations. Now, we're going to watch this video on this. He's going to actually get into this in detail of what we're talking about here.
2: Unusual Activity Alert Related to the Strategic National Stockpile and Federal Medical Stations. The Potter blog site, September 12, 2013. Very unusual activity. Uh, The Centers for Disease Control have a uh, solicitation out uh, for surge tempo. uh, Deliveries of the Strategic National Stockpile push packages and for Federal Medical Stations anywhere in the Pacific. Uh, They're targeting specifically uh, United States, uh, Pacific uh, Islands, Hawaii, Guam, American Samoa, uh, Northern Marianas, but they're also including all Pacific Rim Islands. And the definition of island, and this is also very unusual, but we'll get to that in a moment. What makes this extremely unusual, this is for surge activity, meaning that they're looking
0: Okay, now we're looking the page he has up here. This is all federal stuff. I mean, these are all, this federalbizops.gov, um, air freight cargo transportation within the Pacific. And he's going over this whole this whole thing, and he gives you all the the website links to it as well. Um, so you can kind of verify. This is, like, legitimate. This is actually from the government. And um, he does that in video after video.
2: Looking to push... Uh, the Strategic National Stockpile and these medical stations to multiple locations across the Pacific. They want to have this uh, capability in place, I believe, by October 21st, 2013. Now, let's have a quick look at what they say about Strategic National Stockpile. Just so what it is, and this is from a CDC site. Uh, the plan is to deliver critical medical resources to a site of a national emergency when local public health resources would likely be or have already been overwhelmed by the magnitude of the medical emergency. Examples might be resulting earthquake, pandemic flu, smallpox, terrorist events. Pre-event requests for SNS resources might include actionable intelligence indicating an impending chemical, biological, or radiological, nuclear, or large explosive attack, or overwhelming public health disaster analysis derived from syndromatic and epidemiological surveillance or a sentinel event such as the case of smallpox. Now, they're prepared to do this uh, to the the United States already. What makes this so extremely unusual is that they're asking for surge tempo capability. Basically, what they've got they're saying is, we don't have enough aircraft and delivery capability to deliver this stuff right now to the Pacific. So, The short of this is what this means is, is they're expecting the pandemic to hit the Pacific first and to be able to respond in large quantity to multiple, multiple locations within the Pacific, uh, Pacific. Uh, obviously.
0: Now, if you had people that were, let's say these are U.S.-controlled Pacific Rim Islands and maybe others, you had supposedly US citizens living on these islands, and let's say they were in China or Japan or wherever, and then all of a sudden an outbreak happens there. Well, you know the way they always portray it, I'm thinking they did it in that show Contagion or whatever too, is that, you know Gwyneth Paltrow or whatever, and I I hope I'm getting the movie right, but the you know, she goes over there, she's she's in the Orient. And it turns out like I don't know, it's like When, at the end of the show, they show you how it all ended up spreading. Some bat had, like, eaten an apple or something. It drops the apple in the... He was infected, this bat. Drops the apple in the pig trough. Pig eats the apple. Pig gets infected. Pig ends up on the dinner plate of Gwyneth Paltrow. She gets infected, as do some others. She has direct contact with the chef who was preparing the pig. Sorry, I left that out. And then she flies back to the States and ends up infecting, you know, that ends up being the vector by which the infection, I believe, spreads to the United States, through her. Um, my name is Matt Damon, and Gwyneth Paltrow, I think. Anyway, that's how they typically portray it in the movies, okay? I think it was a similar thing with Outbreak. It started in, like, Africa or something. It's kind of fuzzy, but anyway... So, you, you would expect to see something like that. And if people were literally visiting there, Pacific Rim Islands, they bring it back to the island, okay, before there's like a quarantine. Well, that would be the vector by which it would spread, and I can understand why they would be pre-positioning all of this stuff ahead of time there, you know, for what they're going to try to uh, pull off here. Because remember, all this stuff's been made in the laboratory, Okay, for a long time. I proved that with that going all the way back to the 1918, 1919 Spanish flu. The people that got infected were the ones that took the vaccines in that particular case. Okay, in this particular case, we're going to talk about vaccines, uh, but they also have chemtrails now. They didn't have that back then. That's another way. Maybe binary, tertiary vectors, meaning... It's going to be a combination of maybe getting a shot, maybe getting chemtrailed, maybe being having some kind of direct exposure with something infected. Who knows? But they're not going to want to do it where it's like you go get the shot and you die in the Walgreens parking lot. That's going to be too obvious. So they're going to want to be a little more subtle. And I have went over these scenarios in the past, too, so uh, let's go further.
2: This is a, a likely year to the H7N9 uh, pandemic the government has been massively preparing for. And I mean massively preparing for them. We'll take a look through this real quick. And here's a uh, a statement directly out of the uh, out of this uh, uh, request. It says, "In preparation for emergency response surge tempo to the Division of Strategic National Stockpile, as described." Yada yada yada. Now, if we look down through here, uh, let's go through here real quick and. They're basing this on one 12-hour push package and one federal medical station. What that means is is they're not saying they're going to order only one. This is the package that's supposed to go out together. And they say, this is our package. We don't know how many of these we're going to order, but uh, you need to price this this being our widget, our one thing we're going to deliver, a 12-hour push package and a federal medical station. Now, it says... uh, Rapid movement of SNN assets from Guam to American Samoa and to Northern Mariana Islands. Basically, that means that uh, American Samoa and Northern Marianas, their stockpile is going to be on Guam. Uh, Hawaii probably already has a large stockpile. But uh, we'll go through some more interesting stuff here. It is very long uh, uh, solicitation. Uh, suggest you read it, but if you look at the list of Pacific Rim islands they expect to support, And they're asking for 72-hour delivery to Pacific Rim Islands. Now, let's get down here to it. That's a long way down. Here we go. Let me zoom this in just a little bit more. These are what they consider Pacific Rim Islands. Australia, Brunei, Cambodia, Chile, China, Ecuador, El Salvador. Basically, they want to be able to deliver in any country within the Pacific realm. Uh, but, you know, really, will they deliver to China? It's unlikely. But uh, basically, they, dis- they express the whole region because I don't think they want to specify specifically which regions they're willing to cover and what they're not willing to cover. But uh, it's, not do- it's not easy to uh, handle supply chain logistics.
0: To uh, that, that also included New Zealand and Australia the Pacific Rim Islands they had, Russia's even in there. I mean, you know, it's obviously any country that would be have any connection with the
2: Pacific. Some of these Pacific Rim nations, and I'll give you a prime example here. Uh, East Timor. In 1999, uh, the Australians had to deploy to East Timor as a peacekeeping operation. They tried to do a massive deployment. And they had one huge hiccup in their supply chain system that they were completely unprepared for. And that was related to the availability and the type of uh, tugs and tow trucks at East Timor. And that really hosed them up for, for some time period. So it's not easy making deliveries to some of these places. But this is very concerning if and only if, because they're planning for surge tempo operations. Not your standard, oh, we have to be prepared, so we're going to deliver. No, no, this is the type of planning you do where, yeah, this is really going to happen, we believe, and therefore we're going to uh, spool up and be able to handle a massive influx of whatever it is, likely, again, H7N non-planning.
0: Okay, so that's the end of that video. Now I'm gonna I'm way over time on this part, so I'm gonna go ahead and end part two here, and we'll go to part three next. Maybe able to I don't know if I'm gonna be able to get this done in three or four parts, but we'll get it done. Um, hey, it's only three thirty where I'm at, and at, 330 a.m. Um it's what I'm kinda used to anymore. So God bless you and we'll see you in part three.